Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Just reach out. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode. Hi, Deb. How are you doing? Well, how are you? Uh, i got a few allergy things going on still, but all in all, pretty good. Pretty yeah, good. Same here. This week, we are going to discuss an encounter five gold miners had with a group of Sasquatch, which they refer to as hairy men. In Washington State, near Mount St. Helens, along a gorge on the Plains of Abraham, which has ever since been known as Ape Canyon. This incident was heavily covered in the local papers, and most mainstream Sasquatch-type shows have covered this at one time or another, and even one of the miners wrote a short book about it. Here is some background on the incident. When two of the miners went to a creek to get some water, they saw a tall, hairy creature by some trees. It stood next to a pine tree about a 100 yards from them on the opposite side of a small canyon. According to the men, the creature quickly dodged behind a pine tree, poking its head out from the side of the tree from time to time. One of them shot at it. Standing to be about seven feet tall in height and covered with blackish-brown hair, the creature jumped from behind the pine and ran down the canyon. It ran upright and at an incredible speed only to disappear out of the men's view within seconds. The other miner took a shot, but but he was unable to see whether it hit the creature or not. That night, multiple creatures came and attacked the miners while they were in their log cabin, throwing rocks, hitting the door, and knocking out the mud between the logs. When the miners heard them on the roof, they fired shots at them, and the assault lasted until daybreak. Did anyone get hurt? Supposedly, one or two of the men were hit in the head with rocks and stuff that came through the roof. Uh, but that's about the main way they got hurt. Did Were they able to hit any of the creatures when they fired their guns? Uh, there's no proof of it, but some of them say yes. They were so close that they shot some of the creatures, they believe. But we are going to take this in a little different direction. We are going to discuss what the Bigfoot world calls the woo factor, the paranormal side of these men's report. Most people try to simply throw the paranormal side of Sasquatch out the window. But did you know that even Lorraine Warren had an encounter with Sasquatch in eastern Tennessee? What is the woo woo factor? The woo factor that they call it is the paranormal side, things like... Mind speak, that Sasquatch supposedly can 
speak to you telepathically. Orbs appear in the sky when they're around. Um, sometimes UFOs are around when they're around. Different things like that is what they call the woo factor. Anything that says it, it's not a straight type of ape or an unfounded hominid. You know, any, anything that says it's got anything paranormal to do with Sasquatch is called the woo factor. Most of the woo factor of this tale comes from Fred Beck, who was one of the miners, but it doesn't start with Sasquatch. According to Beck, the events leading up to the ape episode were filled with the psychic element. Since a young man, he had always been clairvoyant. His time spent in Mount St. Helens was a series of psychic experiences. Even the method they supposedly found their mind was psychic. Here's an excerpt from Beck's book. In 1922, we found the location of our mind. A spiritual being, a large Indian dressed in buckskin, appeared to us and talked to us. He was the picture of state line itself. He never told us his name, but we always called him the Great Spirit. He replied once, The Great Spirit is above me. We are all part of the Great Spirit. If we listen when the Great Spirit talks, we can all hear them. There was another spiritual being which appeared to us, more in the role of a comforting friend, and we learned her name. One of our party suggested later that we name our, name our mind after her, <clears throat> and so the mining claim was later filed for her last name. The big Indian being told us there would be a white arrow to go before us. Another man who was not present during the attack in 1924 could see the arrow easily and clearly at all times, and I could see it nearly as well. What was the Indian woman's name? I believe it had something to do with white, because they named the mine the Vander White Mine, and they were going to use her last name, so only one of them would be her, be her uh, name, so I'm assuming it was something white. Indians usually had different names like White Arrow or White Cloud mm -hmm. or something to that effect. Do you know what happened during their encounter with her? No, there isn't a lot of detail given by Beck. It's just that she helped them along the way and so on and so forth. And uh, like I said, there's not a lot of detail given by him. Beck continues... So we started by the Lewis River, south of Mount St. Helens, and we went up the Muddy River, and in all, we followed the White Arrow for four days. The going was slow, for in those days it was very rugged territory. Hank's temper was growing short as he climbed the hills. He had not always been a believer of spiritual things, and afterwards he was a believer. But he lost his temper and cussed. He swore at the spirit leading us. His face was red, and we could not stop him. Just a wild goose chase, he exclaimed. They lied to us and got us running all over the hills, and I want nothing more to do with them, he went on and on. Then, just when he had started to calm down, we all saw the arrow soar up high, change direction, and swoop down. We had to follow in the general direction. Before we could find it again, it hovered near the top north of Ape Canyon. That was the site where we later blasted our shaft. We got a little closer, 
and we all saw the image of a large door, and the big Indian appeared in front of it. He spoke, Because you have cursed the spirit leading you, you will be shown where there is gold, but it is not going to be given to you. With those words, he disappeared. Then we saw the door slowly close. There was a huge lock and latch, but as the door shut, the lock did not latch. A closed door, but it was not locked. We just as well pack up and go home, one of the parties said. And that is just the way our gold mine turned out. Closed, but not locked. We worked that mine for two years. Now in one assay, showed well over $2,000 a ton. But as it turned out, we had actually done was to cut the leaders. There is a pocket of gold in that cliff if someone is fortunate enough to find it. We gave up looking for it. What does cut the leaders mean? It means they found a vein of gold and they cut it off and never found the full vein. It's just a little offshoot of the, of the vein of gold. They never found the actual vein. According to Beck, everything in the material world is a manifestation. Ever since the time the first essence of consciousness formed from the great void, we cannot describe different planes or dimensions of being were created or manifested. Occasionally, we of this dimension of space can be conscious of other beings of a different vibration and consciousness. What is the great void? The great void would be the universe, uh, where everything supposedly was created from. The, you know, the universal consciousness, the whole Big Bang Theory, everything else. Um, back at those times, they called it the Great Void. We have to ask, are the Sasquatch from a different plane of existence? When the condition and vibration is at a certain frequency, can they appear in a very solid body for a time? Can you explain how that would happen? Yeah, it goes back to your theory of relativity and your, your uh, psychic theories, physics, I mean, for the different dimensions, your string theory and stuff, where all these different dimensions are parallel, are parallel universes. And when they touch, you can cross over, um, then go back, so on and so forth. A lot of UFO people are even starting to believe nowadays that UFOs actually aren't from far distant planets. planets. It's us from future times. He goes on to say, another very striking experience which shows that they cannot be natural beings with natural bodies. It was before we made our cabin, and we were staying in a tent then. The tent was below a little cone-shaped mountain called Pumy Butte. A little creek flowed nearby, and there was a moist sandbar about an acre in. We would go there and wash our cooking utensils and bring our drinking water back. Early one morning, Hank came back to the tent. He was rather excited. He led us to the moist sandbar and took us to the, right to the center. There in the center of the sandbar were two huge tracks about four inches deep. There was not another track in the sandbar. There we were, standing in the middle of the sandbar, and not one of us could conceive any earthly thing taking about 160 steps long, 160 feet long step make those tracks. No human being could have made those tracks, Hank said. There's only one way they could be made. Something dropped from the sky and went back up.
Speck was quite the advocate of the idea that Bigfoot is not flesh-and-blood creature, but rather something more interdimensional, psychic, and spiritual in nature. It all adds an extra sheen of weirdness to the whole tale. Here, we have not only a sensational story of a Bigfoot attack, but talk of new realms beyond these, just being undiscovered animals lurking in the remote wilds. Is any of it true at all? For his part, Beck would insist that everything he said was true and never waver from his story. We are left in quite the tale and historical oddity. What happened to these men out there and what exactly did they see? Are, do you believe there are plausible explanations for the events of this story? There have been some people come forward and say that they actually had a YMCA camp close to the area. And it was a bunch of YMCA boys that mm. were terrorizing the miners that night. <clears throat> I find that kind of hard to believe because they had packed so f- far up into the mountains that there was a YMCA camp close. They claimed they had shot several of the creatures. So if they shot somebody, then you'd have a dead YMCA camp guy, right? So that, that just doesn't hold water with me. Do you believe the story at all? I do believe something happened to them. They took reporters back to them, every, up there with them and everything else. They took pictures of the footprints, damage to the cabin, so on and so forth. Um, we have a few of those pictures, and we're going to post them on the website for our viewers to see. So uh, it's kind of cool to look at. Hmm. I'd be curious to know when the YMCA actually formed and if there were camps at that time. Yes, there were camps and buildings built at that time. The YMCA was founded in 1880. Oh. And this happened in 1924. So, yeah, there there were some things there. Hmm. But like I said, I doubt that they had a camp that remote up in Mount St. Helens at that time. Hmm. Well, this story takes a huge turn from just the attack of the miner's cabin after they shot one of the creatures out of fear earlier in the day. There is no evidence to back up Beck's self-proclaimed psychic abilities, but there is also nothing to disprove his claim. But history tells us something happened up in Ape Canyon that night. What do you think, Deb? you think it, uh, it's possible? I, I don't know if it's possible a plausible explanation could be maybe they were hallucinating, smoking peyote, or I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, there are things that have yet to be explained, in my opinion. It does not mean that there aren't any explanation. I agree. There, there are many things, you know, is Sasquatch real, not real? Is mm-hmm. he... A living being, not a living being. Is he an alien? Is he an unfound ape? There's a whole, whole big list of things with him. Or them, I should say, those creatures. But, you know, it, it's possible that there are living creatures. It's possible that they could be from a parallel universe. It's possible that they could be tied in with aliens. It could be that they're being mimicked by aliens. Anything that's not proven and is not disproven, is possible. I suppose. 
So there's a whole different thing going on. And hopefully one day we'll find out. Well, folks, thanks for listening. And, un- and until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening. And remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com, and if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash foreverparanormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode.